0: In the book of Job, we read of the Lord's trial of his life by sending every form of adversity that the devil himself could think up for him. His three friends were miserable comforters, all of them. Elihu explained what was happening, and then the Lord took up, speaking to Job, and the Lord told Job what he was doing to him, and he had the right to do whatever he wished with Job, and He magnified himself by looking at a number of aspects of his creation. And when we get to the final chapter of the book of Job, Job having heard the Lord defend himself and and magnify himself and put Job down, Job said these words, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. I thought I knew you, but now that I know you better, I repent in dust and ashes. Our goal in this first service is to know the Lord better and to be reminded of how great and glorious He is in His sovereign dominion of the universe. He raises up men, He puts them down. He blesses them and He curses them. He blesses and elects angels and He curses and damns angels. He is the Lord God of the Bible. Modern men have no idea of what He's like and most pulpits don't know what He's like. And we want to remind ourselves from the Word of God how great and glorious He is. And hopefully this will humble us before Him and that we ourselves will repent in dust and ashes as we are reminded of how great He is. That is Job chapter 42. May the Lord bless us to have the same Spirit. Let's open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 4, which I hope that many of you read last evening. One of the great chapters in the Word of God, written in Chaldean, by the scribe that took the words from Nebuchadnezzar's mouth, This chapter was not written by Daniel, even though it's in the book of Daniel. This chapter was written by Nebuchadnezzar, whom God said was king of kings. That golden image that we can read about in chapter 2, he was the golden head of it. He was a king of kings. In this chapter, we read about him being a tree that filled the entire earth. And all the beasts of the field found shade under it. And the birds of the air found a place to make nests for themselves. He was a great and glorious king. I want to read to you the concluding statement found in the last four verses of this chapter. This was a proclamation sent to all nations, all people, all languages that dwell in all the earth in the first person from King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 34. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time my reason returned unto me. And for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my lords sought unto me. And I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth, and his ways judgment. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. Amen and amen. Father in heaven, bless us to see in these words and other words following them the glory of your sovereign dominion that is an everlasting dominion from generation to generation Amen. over even such great men as this king. We worship thee this morning. Have mercy upon us now, we ask, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Daniel chapter 4, spoken by a great king to all of his people, telling them what God had done to him. It's a personal letter to the whole world, as the first verse tells us. It's written in the first person. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, I am speaking, it happened to me, I am telling you personally what the high God did to me. In verses 2 and 3, he tells these people, to the glory of God, what the high God had wrought toward me. He said in verse 3 with an exclamation point, How great are His signs! How mighty are His wonders! Because He turned me out to pasture for seven years. He took me, the ruling monarch of the Babylonian Empire, the Chaldean nation, and turned me out to pasture so that I ate grass like a cow. My hairs were grown out like eagle's feathers and my nails like bird's claws. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion is from generation to generation. Look at that introduction in verses 1 through 3. I, Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king the world has seen, is telling you what the high God has done to me to prove that He is truly King of kings. In Daniel chapter 2, God Himself said of Nebuchadnezzar, He was a king of kings. But here, Nebuchadnezzar owns that He extolled and honored and praised the High King of Heaven who was the King of Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 17, the angels of Heaven who are the watchers and the holy ones have made a decree that they are going to cut this man down to size. Now the Lord God is governing all that the angels do whether they are good angels or evil angels. But it says in verse 17, this matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. In one verse, the angel said, We are going to do this to you, O King Nebuchadnezzar, with the objective of teaching you a lesson, that your reign, and your glory, and your majesty And your power and dominion is nothing in comparison to the God of heaven. And He Himself took you from your mother's womb and put you on the throne that you have. And you better give Him glory because He raises up over the nations of men and their kingdoms, base men. Now take a load of that. And those are the angels. They understand authority. That is why they are called principalities and powers. That's why they are called thrones, might, and dominion. They understand rank and they keep rank. They understand authority and they obey it. They do not bring a railing accusation against the devil because the devil holds a higher rank than they hold. They are reduced to the words, The Lord rebuke thee. And when they see a man out of line, it is their decree to cut him down to size. And so they did, Nebuchadnezzar, in this 17th verse. In verse 19, after Daniel realizes the interpretation of this tree being cut down, knowing that it means Nebuchadnezzar is going to be put out to pasture, look what it says about Daniel's response to this. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, The dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. What I have just seen by the Spirit of the living God of what this dream means is something terrible. It's something that those that hate you would rejoice to hear. It's something that your enemies will like to see. Because he saw that great king out on his hands and knees with his head down toward the earth like a cow. That's in verse 19. We come to verse 22. After he has described this great tree that fills the earth, he says in verse 22, it is thou, O king, that art grown and become strong. For thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven and thy dominion to the end of the earth. And I want that word dominion right there. Nebuchadnezzar had dominion. He could dominate the souls and lives of men, of provinces and of nations. He defeated the known nations in the world at this time because God made him his servant for the punishment of the world. You can read about it in a number of chapters in Jeremiah. He had dominion. Remember in the previous chapter to this. He raised up a golden image. And he brought the band to play. And he called all of his presidents and counselors and rulers and sheriffs and magistrates together to a great assembly And he said, now, I've made this image, and it's the God of the month. And I've brought my band, and when the band begins to play, you're all going to fall down and worship my image. And if you don't fall down and worship my image, then I'm going to throw you into my fiery furnace. This is not a fairy tale. This is a real king that had dominion. He wasn't called in question by the ACLU who thought that it was a little unfair to throw men into a fiery furnace because they wouldn't worship his make-believe God of gold. Congress didn't sit in judgment on him. He wasn't voted out of power. There were no impeachment processes here. He was king. He was Nebuchadnezzar. And his dominion extended to the end of the earth. The end of the known earth. The end of the earth that the God cares about in the Bible. It extended to the end of it. He ruled over the known nations of the earth. And so when the Lord puts this man down, it's a great display of His dominion over this man. Come to verse 27, and remember the warning that is given here by Daniel to the king. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Maybe Nebuchadnezzar was living the good life at this moment, and Daniel has just told him, you're going to be put out to pasture for seven years. So why don't you break off your sins and live a righteous life? Perchance, there's some mercy with God who will lengthen your tranquility, who will allow you to keep your position and place. And we ought to take that soberly ourselves. God can upset and steal your tranquility at any time. Today may be a warning from Him to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and turn away from your sins that it might be a lengthening of your tranquility. Then we come to verse 28. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, "Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty?" While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, "O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken." The kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. And they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws. And then we have that wonderful confession and praise that I read to you a few moments ago as he confesses and says, I bless and praise the Most High. He says in verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven, all whose works are truth and His ways judgment, and those that walk in pride He is able to abase. To take a king like Nebuchadnezzar and abase him was something no man, no army, no general, no nation could do. But the God of heaven did it easily. The God of heaven did it by His angels who had made a decree that this man needed to be taught a lesson. The dominion of God. Dominion means the absolute power to rule and reign and control other things. Other men other angels, other beings. Nebuchadnezzar had that kind of dominion over the political world. Our God has that dominion over all creation. Everything in the universe is under His absolute and total and final control. And we preach that, believe that, and love it in this church. And we want to defend it and remind ourselves of it that it would stir up our hearts to a number of good things that come from being reminded of this doctrine. It is one of the beautifying and glorifying traits of God. Look at Isaiah 52 with me. Isaiah 52. We began with Psalm 93 a while ago. The Lord reigneth. We've had read to us the story of God sending a lying spirit to the prophets of Ahab in 1 Kings 22. We've had read God's judgment upon the king of Assyria in Isaiah chapter 10. And we have had read those wonderful words in Romans chapter 9 that He is the potter and we are the clay and we don't even have the right to question what He does with us. The beautifying attribute of God, one of them, is His great sovereign power. Verse 7 of Isaiah 52, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. That is a beautiful statement. It's got an exclamation point, and it is said that the beautiful feet of gospel preachers bring this message, Thy God reigneth. God reigns over our souls. He reigns in such a way that He's able to defeat all our enemies, sin, death, hell, and the devil. And He's able to deliver and preach peace. Because we have a king that is able to destroy all opposition. Peace requires the ending of conflict. And God is able to end all conflict because He is the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. Turn all the way to the back of your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19 and see if the beautiful feet of the saints in heaven are not proclaiming the same thing. Revelation chapter 19. Wherever you turn in the Bible, the sovereign glory of God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, are revealed there for us. I want to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ because God has promoted Him from the stable and manger where He was once laid to the right hand of power on high. He has been lifted up far above all principalities and powers. He is the blessed and only potentate and He will come soon and reveal that. The man, Christ Jesus, is the blessed and only potentate. Revelation 19 and verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. For those of you that know Handel's Messiah, you've heard this chorus. Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The Lord Jesus Christ will have taken all of His power, all of His authority, and exercised it against all of His enemies and destroyed them for the benefit of us. His church, His chosen, His elect, His children. He will say to God, His Father, behold, I and the children which Thou hast given Me, after He's done all this. But the words, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Whatever you're afraid of, death, dying, sickness, hell, whatever you're afraid of, the devil, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Jesus Christ has destroyed all our enemies. And He's made it manifest through the preaching of the gospel. And so we proclaim, Thy God reigneth! With an exclamation point. And we rejoice. In those points of punctuation that God puts in His Scriptures. Come back to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs 30. Is this beautiful to you? Do you love to think upon the greatness of the God we serve? Amen. I'm so tired of hearing songs about God is watching from a distance. I'm so tired about hearing, put your hand in the hand of the man. That's 1970. I'm so tired about hearing about the four spiritual laws. The first law of which is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. God does not have a wonderful plan for most lives. He has a wonderful plan for His own life. The only reason you exist is for the glory of His life. That little tract called the Four Spiritual Laws, more copies of that have been printed in more languages and distributed wider than any other tract on the face of the earth. And the first rule is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. How effective do you think that would have been if Noah would have been blowing those off the deck of the ark? How effective do you think those would have been if Joshua would have had a drop of those on Canaan before he crossed Jordan? When God had said, I expect you to kill every man, woman, child, and suckling, even their oxen and cattle, to be wiped out in Canaan. If you don't do it, the land's going to spew them out. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He has a wonderful plan for your life. He's going to get glory out of it. One way or another. He has taken the clay and He has made Himself some vessels and some of those vessels are vessels of honor and some are vessels of dishonor. He will get glory from all vessels. Upon the one, he will show his wrath and his power, and upon the other he'll show his mercy and his grace that he's afore prepared us to long before the world began. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 29. There be three things which go well. yea, four are comely in going. Here are four beautiful things according to the prophet Eger Verse 30. Here we go in the list. A lion which is strongest among beasts, and turneth not away for any. A greyhound, and he goat also, and a king, against whom there is no rising up. This is described by a prophet of God as a beautiful thing. A king against whom there is no rising up. A king with absolute dictatorial powers who was able to eliminate any opposition or any enemy. No one can stand up against him. God said it's a beautiful thing. Nebuchadnezzar was such a king, but God was his king. Now I honor and praise and extol the king of heaven, is what Nebuchadnezzar said. The God of heaven is this in its infinite and ultimate degree. And I hope you can rejoice in it as a beautiful thing. Why would we want to consider this subject again? Because it will teach you contentment like no other subject. Your parents, your body, your health, your finances, your looks, your intelligence, your nation, your generation, your opportunities are God's choice. Humble yourself beneath them and thank Him for every one of them. They were chosen in perfect, divine wisdom for the profit of your soul and for the praise and glory of God if you'll submit to them. You fight against them, He'll grind you to powder. Everything you have and are, God chose it for you. Even if you've been a fool and are suffering from some of your foolishness, Don't you think He could have restrained you from your foolishness? He restrained many men from their foolishness. He lets you go in that foolishness so that you'll magnify and honor the High King of Heaven. We're going to learn contentment. We're going to learn submission. Submission to God's choice in our lives. Your circumstances are not something that you need to fret and worry about and seek with all your might to change. Your circumstances are something God has put in your life That you should submit to and learn holy humility in their face. We're going to learn thankfulness that what we have is more than we deserve. And God has been most kind and gracious to us. He was kind and gracious to Nebuchadnezzar. He taught him a seven year lesson. Nebuchadnezzar went to graduate school and graduated with a degree in fearing the Lord. Herod never got the chance, did he? God didn't send Herod to graduate school. We read in Acts chapter 12, he cut him off, and he was smote by the angel of the Lord, and worms ate him. We're going to be thankful for everything God's done for us. That you have any interest in the Word of God, that you have any interest in the Savior Jesus Christ, it is by His choice that He put that interest in your heart. Every good thing that you enjoy on a daily basis every time you blink your eyes and they open the windows of your soul so that you can see and enjoy the things around you, God made that choice. Because I can just as quickly turn you to John chapter 9 where the disciples asked Jesus, why was this man born blind? And Jesus said this man was born blind for the glory of God. You say it's not fair to make a person blind from birth for the glory of God. You don't know what you're talking about and you better shut up. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me blind? We're going to learn that anger or bitterness against God or against our circumstances is terrible. How in the world can we be angry against a God with this kind of power? How in the world can we get angry at God and blame Him for not doing something for us that we thought... He should have done for us. He's God and He can do according to His will and He does do according to His will in the the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. We're going to be reminded to humble ourselves before our circumstances and what God chooses for us. What was the solution for Job? When all those terrible things happened to Job which are worse than anything has ever happened to you by a thousandfold What was Elihu's explanation? God is greater than man. And that is the whole solution to the book of Job. Job chapter 33 verse 12. God is greater than man and He can do whatever He chooses to do to any of us. And the lesson, the lesson is to get down and have our understanding come to us and praise and bless the Most High God and thank Him for our circumstances confess our sins, break off our iniquities by righteousness, and adore Him who is the God of creation. We're going to remind you that if you need a protector, you've got one. You want a protector? It's your Father in Heaven. There's no one that can resist Him, withstand Him, restrain Him, or slow Him down. Amen. And there's no one that can even question why He would be interested in someone like you. You have a Father like that. Unlimited power and unlimited love for each of his elect. Are you worried about having your future provided for you? This God is able to provide. He's able to provide whatever you need. And we'll see that. You know the world today thinks all the choices are in their hands. They're being taught that. The choice of eternal life is yours. The choice of success is yours. The choice of happiness is yours. The choice, the choice is yours. No, God makes the choices. God has made the choices that affect your life far more than any choice you make. It's by His choices. Even when it's evil. Job's wife came to Job and said, curse God and die. Job said, shall we not receive good at the hand of the Lord and receive evil as well? He understood and he said, you're speaking like the foolish women speak. Even when evil comes in our lives, it's from the Lord. Amos chapter 3 and verse 6 says if there's evil in a city, the Lord's done it. We're going to learn about our salvation that it rests in the perfect choice of God. And He put it in His choice to the praise of the glory of His grace and the praise of the glory of His will. He has exercised His will on our behalf and it affects us for all eternity. The God of heaven is so sovereign. The God of heaven has such dominion over us. I have told you before, He did not ask you if you even wanted to exist. I encourage you to meditate on that. There are so many in the earth that would say, I wish I hadn't been brought into being because my life has been so painful. Well, He didn't ask you for your opinion. He gave you that painful life for His honor and glory. And He has a right to do it. And there are so many that bark and say, I just can't understand the existence of evil. He is the potter, and we are the clay. Understand it. Jesus said about Judas, it would have been better if this man had not been born. But guess what? He was born. There's a God in heaven that's worthy of our worship. You know the Arminian God? It's generally true in most Arminian churches that most of the worshipers are women. There's a reason. The God is so effeminate. How could a man ever worship and adore that God? But you read about the God of the Bible, and it calls for men. Because as a man is the head and Lord of his home, of his marriage, of his children, he can relate to the Lord and his dominion of the whole creation. He's a glorious God. He destroys all of His enemies and toys with them before He destroys them. God is not trying to save anyone. God has saved everyone He purposed to save. He'll not lose a single one of them. That's a doctrine that's strange now in our nation. It once was not strange at all. God is not trying to save if He's trying to save, is He lacking the power? Is He lacking the will? No, if He's trying, He must be willing. Who's so powerful that they can resist Him? Trying. God isn't trying to save any. He is certainly going to save every single one. Amen. And they're going to give Him glory through eternity as the vessels of mercy of four prepared into glory. Let's look at Psalm 103 and verse 22. Psalm 103 and verse 22. This is often called the sovereignty of God. I've chosen to call it the dominion of God, not to try to show some creativity, but to use a Bible word. Sovereignty is not found in the Bible. Sovereignty means one who has supremacy or rank above or authority over others. That's what sovereignty means. Someone who has supremacy or rank above and over others. A superior, a ruler, a governor, a lord, a master. Dominion means the same thing. It means sovereign rule. And so we want to use the word dominion. Because the Bible uses it often. Nebuchadnezzar had a little. The Lord God had a great deal over him. Psalm 103, verse 22. Bless the Lord, all His works, in all places of His dominion. and Bless the Lord, O my soul. I know that many of you love Psalm 103 because the way it starts out with such an ecstatic words of praise, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. But this psalm closes out by saying, bless the Lord, all His works, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Does that get you just as excited as all His benefits from the first three verses? To know that all His works, in all places of His dominion, should praise Him. I hope it does. His dominion is in all places. The Bible tells us the extent of His dominion is He worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. His dominion is from generation to generation. That means in its duration, it is perpetual. You know, Nebuchadnezzar's dominion was only going to last as long as the Babylonian and Chaldean physicians could keep him alive. But he said, of God's dominion, it is from generation to generation. Even though the dominion of men ends with a generation. And it takes up with some new ruler. His dominion is over all things. And we could go and go and go with verses and verses. Verses piled upon verses about his dominion. We want to look at some other words. Turn with me to First Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. We had read to us some precious passages of Scripture this morning. 1 Kings 22, Isaiah 10, Romans chapter 9. And those three passages describe God's sovereignty by three illustrations that are glorious. You saw heaven opened and what it's like in heaven with the God of heaven making a judgment as to how he was going to kill Ahab in battle. You saw the host of heaven. That's why he's called the Lord of hosts. Because the host, the army of heaven was there. All the angels and one volunteered to come and be a lying spirit and God blessed him to get Ahab to battle. In Isaiah chapter 10, we saw the king of Assyria who did not think in his heart anything about serving the Lord. It was in his heart to add to his kingdom. But all God was using him for was a rod to beat the nations in the vicinity of Assyria, especially his chosen people Israel. And as soon as he was done with him, he said, I will wipe out Assyria till a child will be able to count and write the number of the few that are left. And that is how we ended our reading in that passage. You know, God said, He's nothing but a saw in my hand. I shake him back and forth. That's before there were circular power saws. He's a saw in my hand and I'm just shaking him back and forth. Why should the saw talk back to the man shaking him? Because he considered the king of Assyria talking back to him by saying, I have done this by my prudence. And he may have been a military genius. He may have been a political power. But he was nothing more than God let him be. And he was used as a rod of God's anger against the nation of Israel. This was a great event in world history to have the rise and fall of the Assyrian Empire. Go home and punch in Nineveh, which was their capital city. Punch in Assyrian Empire. This was a great event, and the Lord describes it in Isaiah 10 as him being nothing but an axe in my hand. I'm cutting down a few nations, and as soon as I'm done, I'm going to light a fire under Assyria and burn up his glory. We've come to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and now David, who was a king in his own right, and a great king, has something to say to his son, Solomon, and he's going to tell him about his God. 1 Chronicles 29 verse 10. God has a kingdom, and that's what we mean by dominion. God is king over a realm, and that realm is the universe. 1 Chronicles 29.10 Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness, and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and Thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of Thee, and Thou reignest over all. And in Thine hand is power and might, and in Thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank Thee and praise Thy glorious name. What a wonderful blessing that David uttered before the whole congregation about the greatness of the Lord, the extent of His kingdom, and His majesty, and that it is in His hand to make great and to give strength. And if God does not reach forth His hand to make great or to give strength, you are going to be small and powerless. God has to give it. He is the sovereign of the universe. And he gives it only for his own honor and glory and according to his own will. He is a king that rules over all. Look at Psalm 66. Psalm 66. I just read some precious verses to you that David blessed Israel with. David knew his God. No wonder David could write the Psalms the way he did, with a statement like that. He he understood the majesty and the extent of that of the God he served and worshipped. That God had been with him all the days of his life. By my God have I run through a troop and leaped over a wall. He knew that the strength he had, the military successes he had, were all by the grace of God in his life. He knew where strength came from. He knew that God had taught his fingers to war and his hands to fight. He said that in Psalm 144. All of it was from the Lord. Psalm 66 and verse 7, we want to get the word rule. Psalm 66, 7, He ruleth by His power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah, stop and think on that for a minute. He rules by His power. His eyes see everything that is going on. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. Nebuchadnezzar exalted himself. Ahab exalted himself. God's eyes beheld those two kings. Herod exalted himself. Remember why God killed Herod? Does it tell us in Acts 12? Because he did not give God the glory when the people began worshiping him like he'd spoken like a god. When men exalt themselves, the Lord's eyes behold it, and the Lord punishes them. He rules by His power for how long? Forever. These kind of statements in the Bible can be multiplied and multiplied. And if you if you fear the God of heaven, and you love the God of the Bible, they're wonderful things to read and just to meditate upon them. And that's why we have the word Selah. Stop and consider what you just read in the seventh verse of Psalm 66. No one can restrain him. Turn to Job. Turn to Job chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 4, we, we heard Nebuchadnezzar say, He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven... And among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. Amen. No one can stop his fist and hold it back when he wants to reach forth in judgment or when he wants to reach forth in blessing. Right. No one can withstand him or hold back his hand, and there is none that can question him. Right. To say to him, what doest thou? Now look at this talk through the Bible. Job chapter 9 and verse 4. Job 9 and verse 4. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength, who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered. I think that's a rhetorical question. Who has hardened himself against the Lord, who is wise in heart and mighty in strength and prospered? You want to harden yourself against the God of the Bible? Go ahead. He and I will have the last laugh. Because no one can prosper if you harden yourself against the God of the Bible. Look at Job 11. Don't get bored in the book of Job. There's lots of statements like this. And it just builds up until Elihu cuts loose and then the Lord Himself takes over. Job 11 and verse 10. If he cut off and shut up or gathered together, then who can hinder him? If God cuts someone off, if God shuts something up, if God gathers something together, who can hinder Him? I, I, I think it's rhetorical. I think it means no one can. You know, in Revelation chapter 3, and I appreciate the prayer that was made today. It was an excellent prayer. And included in that prayer was a statement that the God of the New Testament is no different from the God of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7, I believe, Jesus Christ said, I have the keys of David. I open and no man shuts. I shut and no man opens. Do you think the God of Job 11.10 and the God of Revelation 3 and 7 might be the same? Amen. They're exactly the same. There's been no change at all. Look at Job 23.13. Job 23.13. This is like candy. This is like being let loose in a candy store and the owner saying, help yourself to anything you want to read these precious jewels in the Word of God. I love a God like this. I can serve a God like this. He deserves my whole life. He deserves my whole eternity. That little hippie that stands in some door, on key rings, and church pictures, and in so many homes, that little long haired who in the world would want to serve that being? He opens and no man shuts. But he's there begging at that door. Why don't they read the book of Revelation? If Jesus wants to go through a door, he'll open it. And when he does stand at a door and knock, he's standing there offering a personal relationship of fellowship, not trying to exercise his sovereign power or will. Job 23, verse 13, But he is in one mind, and who can turn him? When God has his mind made up on something, who can turn him? Do you like these questions? And what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. You'd be amazed at the number of people, though, who think that he's desired to save the whole human race, and he's going to spend eternity having only a fraction of them. A very small fraction. What his soul desireth, even that he doeth. And yet they'll pray and thank the Lord for saving their soul. If God truly saved their soul, why doesn't He save everyone else's soul? Job 34. Let's hear Elihu. What would he have to say on this point? Job 34 and verse 29. I love these statements. Hasn't every young man and young woman, but hasn't every young man wanted a hero? I mean, a champion. A champion that has no adversary that can even touch him. The God of heaven is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the blessed and only potentate and all these questions are to say who can turn him, who can stop him, who can restrain him. Job 34 verse 29 When he giveth quietness, who then can make trouble? You know, a verse like that, don't you want to stop right now and ask the Lord to bring quietness into your life? If God brings quietness into your life, who then can make trouble? If God brings quietness into our church, who then can make trouble? And when He hideth His face, who then can behold Him? Does this make you want to drop to your knees in prayer and say, God, never hide your face from Me? Because if you hide your face from Me, I will never behold you. Whether it be done against against a nation or against a man only, it doesn't matter the magnitude Or it doesn't matter the small person of one man. God can do both of these things to one man. Or He can do it to a whole nation. And He has done it to whole nations. He has blinded them to the Gospel. He's opened it to others. Praise the God of Heaven. This is His sovereignty right here. His government of nations and men. Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. The verses we're looking at at this moment are verses that say none can restrain him. Because Nebuchadnezzar said, He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. None can stay his hand. No, no one can hold him back. So we read in Isaiah 14 and verse 27. Isaiah fourteen twenty seven For the Lord of hosts hath purposed, and who shall disannul it? And His hand is stretched out, and who shall turn it back? If God has purposed something, who's going to disannul it? And say that purpose is not going to come to pass. If He reaches out His hand, who is going to turn it back? These are rhetorical questions. None. None. No, not one. No, not any being in the universe can turn back our God. And there's more verses. But let's... Let's look at a few about questioning God. Come back to Job chapter 9. Job chapter 9. Nebuchadnezzar said, And none can say unto him, What doest thou? What are you doing? Do you know how many statements that are made like that every day in this nation? When something bad happens in a person's life, how could God let this happen? 9-11. How could God let this happen? The loss of a child. How could God let this happen? Don't you ever question God like that. None can say unto Him, What doest thou? That child isn't yours. It never was yours. It's God's. It's 100% God's. It's not 1% God's and 99% yours. It's not 99% God's and 1% yours. It's all God's. He gave it to you. You didn't even ask for existence yourself, let alone the child that He gave you. Job chapter 9 and verse 12. If God will not withdraw, verse 12, Behold, He taketh away, who can hinder Him? Who will say unto Him, What doest thou? I want you to notice that these words of Daniel chapter 4 are not just found in Daniel chapter 4. They're found throughout the Bible. 9-12 right. sounds just like Nebuchadnezzar. He first of all deals with the fact that no one can restrain Him and then no one has a right to question Him. Chapter 33, Job 33, Elihu said to those three friends of Job and to Job himself, Yea, I attended unto you, and behold, there was none of you that convinced Job or that answered his words. Lest ye should say, we have found out wisdom. God thrusteth him down, not man. They were not able to figure it out. They could not understand. They did not understand. Their questions, their reasoning, their statements were not acceptable to Elihu. It wasn't Job's sin that was pressing him down. It was God's choice to show His sovereign power in Job's life. Look at Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. Verse 9. Isaiah 45, 9. Woe unto him that striveth with his Maker. Isn't that ridiculous to strive with your Maker to fight your Creator? Woe unto him that striveth with his Maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, What makest thou? Or thy work? He hath no hands. Woe unto him that saith unto his father, What begettest thou? Or to the woman, What hast thou brought forth? God is is ridiculing the profanity and the blasphemy of questioning God as our maker, our creator, and our potter as if we were to blame our parents for what they brought forth. Men have done that, haven't they? And there's a God of heaven that thinks that language is vile. To question your maker and to attack your maker as to what he's doing. And look at your work. He hath no hands. There was a man born blind. I remind you of him again. And he isn't the only one in the Bible. A man born blind for the glory of God. God can make you any way He chooses to make you, and you should not question Him and say, but He hath no hands. But why am I so short? Why am I so fat? Why am I so ugly? Why am I so stupid? Why, 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 why? God chose all those things for you. And peace and contentment and happiness in life is humbling yourself under His choices for your life. Thanking Him for those choices in your life. Blessing and praising Him for those choices in your life. Giving Him all the honor and the glory for those choices in your life. Hath not the potter power over the clay? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that replyest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? That's Romans 9. That's New Testament. God is not changed. Are you ready to humble yourself under Him today? God created all things for His pleasure. The Lord hath made all things for Himself. Yea. Let's take an extreme example that some might balk against. Yea. What does it say? Even the wicked for the day of evil. Proverbs 16.4 The Lord hath made all things for Himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. We love to sing Revelation 4.11 because it says, Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Because Thou hast created all things for Thy pleasure. For Thy pleasure, they are and were created. That's right, man. From the very beginning, everything that we know, everything that we are, was created by God for His own pleasure. God is sovereign over His creation. Why He made certain things the way He did? You know, God chose to make the ostrich stupid. He brags about it for six verses in Job chapter 39. You ought to take the book of Job when you go to the zoo. Then look at that ostrich. It's got a neck about this long, about three feet long. It's got a head about the size of a baseball. There, ain't, there isn't anything up there. The Lord said, I deprived her of wisdom. She lays her eggs, stomps around with those big ugly feet of hers, and breaks her own, kills her own young. But He said, I did give her something. When a horse and a rider appear, she lifts herself up on high, nine feet tall, And can outrun a horse. I love the Lord. Do you love the Lord? He chose to make the ostrich. A zoo's a great place to go for devotions. He made the giraffe, he made the elephant, he made the baboon. And you know what you're supposed to do when you see a baboon you're supposed to laugh. He is the Lord, He created all things for His own glory. He's, a, he's sovereign over inanimate matter. We just read about Joseph. God brought seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Seven, seven. You think that was coincidental? Seven and seven. God did it because He's sovereign over everything. You can trust Him. You, you're worried about a job. You're worried about your family. You're worried about your health. God is sovereign over all those things. He can make leprosy appear in a face. Miriam, Uzzah, others. And it can, He can make it disappear. He can make it disappear in a dirty river like Jordan because He's sovereign over everything. He can have the sons of the prophets out chopping down trees with an axe and the axe head falls off and goes in the water. What does an axe head do when it falls in water? It sinks to the bottom rather quickly. But when a prophet of God is there, what does it do? It swims. When was the last time you saw an axe head do a 50-meter free stroke? It swam because the God of heaven overruled his own rules of nature, and said, Swim. And the axe head came up to the top and said, Here I am, pick me up, and put me back on your handle, the God of heaven. He's sovereign over loaves and fishes. You worried about getting enough to eat? A little boy's lunch was divided a couple of times, and it fed 5,000 men besides women and children, and there were 12 baskets full taken up later after they had filled themselves at that buffet. Because he's the God of heaven and all it took was Jesus Christ blessing that little lunch. You worried about food? You know the chance event of an arrow. That Ahab went out to battle and said, I'm going to return in peace. He disguised himself. He disguised himself to try to thwart the purpose of God in his life. And it says a Syrian soldier just shot an arrow at a venture. Just flung it up into the air at that army over there. And it came down and it found the joints in his armor. It found the one crack that it could get through, and he was taken up wounded. He had to bleed out first in his chariot. Do you know why he had to bleed out first in his chariot? Because he almost survived? Or because God wanted to fill the chariot with blood so that he could send dogs to lick it out of the chariot to fulfill his prophecy. Hey, that's right. Now you know why he bled out in the chariot, don't you? You should already have known that. Right. That chance error, there's no chance events in life. God is sovereign. Over the angels. Don't you love to read that they're called the elect angels? He's sovereign over them. He's chosen them and preserved them. How about the fallen angels? I love Job's 1 and 2, where Satan has to beg God for anything, to, for anything he can do against Job. He has to beg permission. I see a legion of angels over in the Gospels of our Lord Jesus Christ begging for permission even to go into pigs. You worried about your children? They have to beg permission of the Lord Jesus Christ to go into pigs. He can certainly restrain them from your children or your family. He can certainly put a hedge about our church and keep us. Brethren, we can go on and on and on and on. We shall go in the future. I want you to humble yourself before this great God that we worship and love Him and adore Him. Accept His choices in your life. Beg Him for eternal life and fall before Him and beg Him for His salvation, because He'll give it to you. Him that cometh unto Me I will in no wise cast out. But the only ones that ever come to Him and beg for that salvation are those that are drawn by that sovereign God. No man can come unto Me in the same chapter, Jesus said, except My Father draw him. And I will lose none of them that My Father hath given Me, but I shall raise it up again at the last day. Amen. This God is able to take you through this life, through death, and into the next life. Put your trust in Him. The Lord reigneth. Hallelujah. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth.